Welcome to Made It Happen podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Hafling. Made It Happen is a podcast series highlighting female founders who took a chance and launched their own business. Through interviews with female entrepreneurs, Made It Happen is dedicated to inspiring others through stories of those who've experienced going out on their own firsthand, discussing all the highs and the lows. It can be easy to see the glamorous side of starting your own business through the internet and social media, but what does it really take behind the scenes to launch and run your own successful business? Listen in for tangible tips and advice for growing your business from those who have been there. Hear how these inspiring female founders made it happen. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by WeTech Alliance as part of the Canada-U.S. Power Panel Program. Supported by the U.S. Councils General in Canada's Building Back Better program aimed at strengthening support for women entrepreneurs during COVID-19. For more information on WeTech Alliance, visit www.wetech-alliance.com. That's wetechalliance.com. Today's episode brought to you by WeTech Alliance is featuring Abida, the founder of Paperspree. Abida is armed with a diploma in entrepreneurship and business and a Bachelor of Fine Arts. She's an entrepreneur with a natural disposition of living in harmony and respect with our planet and its people. This has been of advantage to succeed as a natural foods educator, a restaurateur for 15 years, and now started in 2019 an eco-friendly business working to preserve and share a better world. Paperspree is a brand here to showcase eco-friendly as the new renaissance in retail. The present is about circularity, sustainable products going mainstream to be the catalyst and fill the growing gap for affordable, accessible, high-quality, durable, zero-waste products. The promise is to reduce the use of plastic and replace retail shelves with eco-friendly products. Their collection of accessories, cases, notebooks, decorations, gift wraps, and stationery are 100% plastic-free, 100% recycled, and 100% recyclable. Okay, so today I am joined by Abada, the founder of Paperspree. So thank you so much for joining me here today. Yeah, I'm happy, Sarah, uh, to be with you. And I know that you have interviewed such different uh, wide choice of women, different women from different backgrounds, and that's been so interesting. And it offers so much to other women and other uh, entrepreneurs who are listening to your podcast. So I think you're doing a great job there. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm definitely excited to be speaking with you today. And I'm excited to learn more about your journey as an entrepreneur, your business. So to start things off, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and just a little introduction? Yeah. So my name is Abda Ochika and um, I am uh, originally, I'm born and brought up in India. Uh, I'm a metro city girl. I'm from Mumbai. When I was growing up there, it was called Bombay. Now it's called Mumbai. So <laughs> lots of things. That in many ways, the world keeps changing. So that's one thing that I experienced. Um, uh, I have uh, my, like, what do you say, conventional education has been in fine art. I went to uh, art university. I graduated in applied art, under fa- the fine art faculty, applied art that is advertising and media. And I worked in that area for some time. 
then I moved to uh, Canada. And when I came to Canada, uh, it was uh, computers everywhere. You know, that was the time when computers were everywhere, just getting. So I also then joined Centennial and I upgraded myself to computer technology and graphic design through computer media. Um, from there, I worked with BMO for some time as a, a design consultant there. And um, then I had my children and then I took a little seat back to raise them because I feel that's a very important duty and everyone should give time to that. So that's uh, my, because my priority. Uh, at that time, uh, living in Canada, I got into understanding the food systems here. And that was a big, big step for me to decide what will be my career when I have my kids um, going to school and I have time in hand or I want to come back. And that was uh, a turning point because I left graphic design or advertising completely and just the pursuit to have healthy food became a challenge. I'm talking about the 90s. So 1990s, from what we have today, Oh my God, Sarah, I don't know, know how old you are, but <laughs> it was a complete different thing. So Fruit Loops was uh, a very healthy lunch, you know, parents packed that. So you can imagine from there, we've come a long way from Fruit Loops to giving a apple in hand. <laughs> so so uh, that was a challenge. And there I learned about the food systems here and what's available and why we have this kind of a food um, uh, hierarchy and why everyone is, doesn't have access to healthy food or what's um, that blocking people from understanding what's plant-based food. This term was not even out there when I started using this term and that's how I got into food education. I became a food educator and a culinary uh, educator. So I, just to um, help my kids eat healthy, I started developing recipes, writing menus, and those kind of things. And then I took it out, and I started teaching other people the same thing. Uh, the biggest uh, plus point there was that I came from a culture where uh, all this was just default. Eating healthy was default. Eating uh, from um, uh, you know your spice cabinet, understanding that it's medicinal, was default. And I realized that so much knowledge we have which I can share with so many other people and help others understand uh, what a kitchen uh, pharmacy is actually, you know. And that's how that journey went on for the longest time. I was a food educator. I did a lot of cooking classes, teaching food, uh, teaching spices, healing techniques of spices and herbs, and they're on and on and on. But it was a tiring um, profession because it's a profession where you're on your foot all the time, you're conducting a workshop or you're teaching someone. And also I, um, with my experience, I got into catering and catering became right, like kind of every the whole focus. And uh, it was my business then. Uh, I catered to different kind of uh, home parties, office parties, seminars, those kind of things. And when I kind of thought that I want to take a seat back from this, because this is quite challenging and I do not want to be on my feet all the time. I was thinking of what next. And that's uh, when sustainability, whether it was my passion, whether it was about food, my connection to the uh, uh, planet Earth environment. These things I feel a lot, very strongly. And I always want to do some things for the community and um, uh, for the planet holistically. 
so where we all work together with it and i all, all through my uh, these many years of journey i one thing is to always you know pick me and irritate me was plastic <laughs> i detest plastic and i always thought that you know why are we just just more and more plastic more and more plastic coming into our lives and last two years of covid taught us that oh my god it's gone beyond we were at a good place and now we are more on plastic so that's how i picked on this uh, new business which was a sustainable business bringing plastic free products within our everyday consumer uh, use products whether it was stationery gifts wherever you see everything is dominated by plastic and that's how i started then doing research and development on this area and i found a uh, paper tree and i started taking myself on this new journey Mhm absolutely well and I think that it's I mean it's definitely such an important um cause and de- like especially right now like you said um plastic it just keeps getting worse so it's great that now there is the solution for this mm-hmm. and once you decided to you know start up papers free what were those first steps you took you know what what was it that really took that idea and turned it into a business Yeah uh that uh, uh again you know it was my connection with India um where i uh, knew that i would find the answers uh because culturally um uh, in india there's a lot of uh, there's never waste there's always minimal use of uh, things and plus there's a um, whole uh, culture i said of recycling of up, upcycling the uh, waste is never considered waste till it uh, you cannot you know for sure you can't do anything about it's not a throw away society you know and uh, i was i as i said i was a fine arts student and when i was a fine arts student i knew of all the handicraft um, handicraft knowledge that india has and all the handicraft that comes out of india and it's still um, a success um, uh, export you know for india because uh, whether it's um, within our baskets now it's now it's bamboo or toothbrushes or whatever you say now we have a coir uh scrubbers for your kitchen scrub and everything has become coir instead of plastic so where does all these things come from so these things are mostly produced within asian countries and because i had knowledge of india i grew up there and i studied there i do, took that step to go back and see whether what is being produced uh within um recycling and upcycling that can be brought um within uh, to us uh, and canada you know uh and when i went there i realized that wow i didn't have to invent the wheel it was all being already done there like i had guessed um i went to the centers which are strong in their handicrafts and they are producing paper for like uh, centuries you know uh the old fashioned way handmade paper and i thought they would be making paper still from uh byproducts of trees and paper pulp and recycled paper to my surprise which was a winner for me because it was a win win that's what i was looking for they were making paper from fabric apparel waste so not even a single tree was cut to make the paper so that was that really got me excited and that uh, kind of strengthened me and gave me the confidence that i can do this business because there is already something happening here they are producing something exactly in, and that's when i had to educate myself what is a circular economy even i it, it was a term i didn't know i learned 
slowly, you know, and then I had to educate myself. How is this possible? What's happening? So where do you get all this fabric? So it's pre-consumer waste, which was even more interesting. Every um, uh, step I took in my research and development became more and more encouraging and more and more interesting uh, to do this business. Uh, just imagine pre-consumer. No one even thinks. We only think of things that we have used and we are throwing. This is pre-consumer. I said, where do you get all this fabric? So this thing, every apparel industry, whether it's in Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Vietnam, wherever, all our H&Ms, gaps, where do we produce all that? You see the tags, it's made in Vietnam, India, Pakistan. These are the tags where they're made. And they are producing so much of waste on the cutting table. So every time they cut a shirt, they cut a skirt, they cut a t-shirt, that's all that waste. And what would they do with that waste? They would have to either burn it down or fill up landfills. And they came up with this thing that why not pulp this? But at the end of the day, if it's natural, organic material, you can't pulp, of course, a polyester fabric. But all the cottons and all the silks and anything natural can be pulped and made into handmade paper. And that's how they do the paper. Similarly, the same thing uh, they do with leather waste. So all our jackets, gloves, boots, whatever we wear. And they are not producing for themselves as much as 80% they are producing for exports. And we are responsible to be part of that holistic uh, healing, which we can contribute to by importing those goods, which are being produced within a circular economy, because we are contributors of the waste. We are the reason why there's the waste being generated. And that all leather also is then all the cuttings and tannery waste is shredded fine and mixed with natural rubber. I would doubt it. You know, I would say, how do you know that this leather now can be biodegradable because you process it? But if you are processing it with no chemical uh, synthesizers, but you're processing it with um, natural rubber, then it's a different story. Now, again, it's a natural product. So they are making new sheets out of waste shredded leather that is composite with natural rubber. So these are the two main materials I'm working now in. And that helps us make so many things, like your plastic ring binder can now be made with this new natural leather, or it can be made with paper. Every ring binder is plastic. Every five-star college journal is plastic. And here is one more thing I want to say about plastic. We've, we have come... You say that single-use plastic should be removed. We don't have to have single-use plastic. But there's no awareness, no education. What all is single-use plastic? Just your grocery bag is not single-use plastic. Everything that you use once and throw. So your um, ring binder and your college journal notebooks are also single-use plastic. But no one talks about it. Mm, so if you have to address that, then you have to change so many systems. You have to say, change so many um, uh, import uh, and, uh, um, what do you say, regulation. This has to come from the government level, definitely. Circular economy is only possible if you have the government systems and, um, what do you say, rules and regulations in place to change how we consume and how we understand it. And there's a lot of money has to be spent in creating the awareness. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's what's so great about your company too, is it's not only a solution to these problems, but it is building the awareness around them too. Like mm. you said, for people who don't realize, you know, what is single use plastic and things like that. And a term you mentioned there too is circular economy. And I know that I think kind of took us through the process of it, but if you were explaining, you know, what circular economy really is to someone who wasn't aware of it, how would you sort of, mm. you know, go about that? And how is it also leading us to, you know, creating a net zero carbon future? So a circular economy, for a simple terms to understand and simple flow to understand how it works, is first of and foremost, we have to educate and um, make people come to terms with reuse. That's the first thing. Reuse is very important and refuse also. Because we do not need everything. You know, that's the challenge. You do not need everything. Every uh, spring, you do not need new pots. So we just are, a cons- you know, definitely, we all know that we are just a, uh, too much of a consumer society. <laughs> like we, we are always buying, 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 you know, so we are not thinking of where and why we need it or do we really need it. I don't know what, there's so many parts. What void are you filling when you're shopping? There's so many other things around it, you know, we, I, that will be another complete podcast. You can take it up with someone else. But there is these reasons and everything ha- therefore has to be addressed from you, a kindergarten, from then you bring them up to school, uh, middle school. When are you going to tell kids about these things? You know, you can't mm-hmm. tell them at college if they are now, they think, okay, circular economy could be a good career. So let me get myself educated in it. That's a complete different way, approach to it. You're going there because you think that's a new career path. But you're not educating them at school level where they can also understand what, how much they use, how much should they uh, consume, how, how much should they share. That is something, you know, like you have to bring it in. Everyday life has to change for everyone. So refuse and reuse is the foundation of uh, circular economy. From there, you will come to collecting waste. How much waste can be collected? Like pre-consumer waste is collected. No one even thinks of. Do you think of when you wear all your, uh, you keep changing your clothes and you keep going shopping, do you think that where it is produced, how much waste is generated? So this, these are uh, things which can become social subjects that can be taught at school level. That's what I understand. So people, then when they have the knowledge, I don't blame anyone because they don't know what's happening. That's just something given to them. So, you know, collecting this kind of waste and then taking it to the right recycling units and understanding and then putting the science to it that what can be recycled, what cannot be recycled. Now, in this, the biggest challenge is in circular economy that things that are man-made materials have a limitation to how much you can recycle, right? And then encourage recycling. So encourage businesses, manufacturers not to put all their waste in land. Bring it to somewhere where someone else can create something. Invest in an infrastructure for this whole system to run smoothly. So you have to have collection centers. You have to have people who are connected to the collection centers who know that this is the raw material that they can use to make something else. Then develop markets for recycling. That's very important. Why should uh, recycle or donated stuff, you know, have a taboo? 
So why why do you think that you know? It's why do people think that recycle means it's going to be second or third time used? No, it is a fresh product. Like you look at my products, they absolutely look fresh. They look brand new. They are beautiful. Only because you think that it's coming from a material that has been already used. You know, so those kind of things that unless people have hold it in their hand and they uh, you educate them about it, it's a brand new virgin material. They won't understand. So you have to develop those markets for recycled materials, so people want to buy those and design the products. That's the thing. If you make something in recycled and upcycled, but it's not designed well, no one will want it. It has to be functional. It has to be designed well. It has to be durable also. Because you think that plastic has this certain uh, quality where people fall for it is because it's cheap and it's durable. Similarly, you have to have a design. So a lot of um, research and development has to be put into designing these virgin materials, which are recycled, into nice products, which are functional and durable. What do you need to make them durable? So that science has to be playing, and that kind of engineering has to play a role in bringing this, you know, complete circle together, and then reduce the process of waste. That, like I said, you know, refuse reuse. Uh, uh, Recycle and reduce the risk, so you don't have you have less materials to then upcycle and optimize life cycle of alternative consumption. This is very important. Optimizing your life cycle to alternative consumption. So you, as an individual, will not be buying brand new from you know. So, but what is brand new and what is a recycled new product? That is a very fine line. People do not dis- know how to distinguish. because that's not one it's not available in mainstream consumer stores like where, does your indigo carry the stuff no they don't so it, it will take time you know before people start buying this stuff so optimizing the life cycle to alternative consumption is our risk when we demand for something the market has and that 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 particular kind of products will be stocked in stores so we that, that's why i say it's a two way street you know one is what is happening in science research development engineering and the other is education educating people starting early mhm i, I <laughs> no i i definitely agree and i definitely see what you mean i think education is such a huge piece of that and so i hope that that continues to be a topic of conversation and people continue to learn about this and you know speaking on a uh, circular economy can you tell us a little bit about how a circular economy business model differs from a traditional business model and a little bit about this okay so a circular business model your business is set on this concept that you're not going to uh be using anything that cannot be biodegradable because it has to be circular so if something cannot be biodegradable cannot be recycled is completely eliminated from a circular business but you're not going to use it period uh there are other circular businesses where they are using plastics because plastics are still existing so much in everyday and so they are using plastics and they are recycling and upcycling plastic they are also circular but at some time uh they have to uh defect from the whole uh, you know uh, circular it, it doesn't close the loop i mean because they are, at the end of the day they'll always be left with something to keep upcycling keep upcycling unless it's bioplastics so that's another subject 
Mm-hmm. That definitely makes sense. And I think there's so many layers to it that, you know, people need to keep in mind throughout the entire process and yeah. these decisions they're making. And I know we talked about how important education is on this topic. And so how can we really encourage consumer um, awareness and beha- and those behavioral shifts that, you know, start with the individual when making decisions that really impact our whole planet? You know, how sh- how can we really go about this? I think, like I said, it's uh, one, uh, the government policies will have to play a role because we listen to God. We, we, we are, you know, we are, uh, uh, as a community, we like someone to uh, put re- regulations in place and then we want to follow. Till someone has not put any regulation in place, we kind of not bothered about it. You know? And if you also have uh, repercussions for it, if you do not do this, then there are fines kind of thing. So similarly, it has to be happens because you can do that with business, with corporates. And there's a lot of greenwashing over there. You know, they are, they, everyone says we are doing it, but it's a lot of greenwashing. And um, because there's a lot of lobbying for petrochemical byproducts, and it will always be there. Uh, we are going towards electrical economy. Let's see when that happens and what other side effects do you have of it. Nothing is perfect. And at the end of the day, moderation is the best way for the planet and for us to sustain anything over and above is is going to be you know um, that will harm us and the planet so behavioral shifts i would say is government policies definitely uh education at uh starting early at school level um like you have uh in the last two decades you've seen uh, schools have uh, small farm patches or, you know, garden, uh, vegetable patches, gardens. So like how you know, are educating children. Because before this, if you ask someone, what is a potato? They knew a fry, but didn't know a potato. Right? They knew fries, but didn't know a potato. But now with awareness and bringing that into the uh, school systems, kids know how vegetables are grown, how everything is present. So I think that similarly, you will have to introduce this at school level. So if you can go from schools and universities and say, okay, we'll not have anything, we are going to not completely eliminate, but reduce the use of plastic in classrooms. And then the, uh, the children will realize that, okay, the student, okay, why am I not using? And then, you know, so, so it has to be uh, at school boards, any institute, any organization can take this up to themselves that we have to make a change. With inflation at these these days, you can imagine where, where are your priorities? So I think those policies will have to come down from the government level to make these things accessible, accessible. And you know, and I have a plan for this in future. So when you come, when we as we move on, I'll let you know about. Perfect. Well, I can't wait to hear more about that. And, you know, speaking of making these changes, you mentioned early on to, you know, bioplastics. And can you talk a little bit about this and, you know, what role they play in making this, you know, overall change against, you know, those non-reusable plastics? Yeah, I think bioplastics is, um, I don't know much about it because it's a very deep uh, uh, subject and it's more of a science and in technology subject, but um, it definitely it's a better um, commodity or better material to bring into the market rather than have uh, a petroleum byproduct plastic, you know, being used. Now, bioplastic again is using a lot of waste to produce plastic, but the waste uh, is biomass, which can be again broken down, you know, and um, buried 
in landfills, which can then break down. It doesn't take thousands of years to break down. So bioplastics is definitely a great uh, um, place where people are working and lots of products are coming out in bioplastic. Like the most common one we every day use is uh, the lining for our uh, green bin. You know, that thin, that's a bioplastic because it dissolves, right? Similarly, they have bioplastic straws. Now they have bioplastic jars and those kind of things. But what I I understand is like as just as a common person, you know, have the simple, uh, very simple, basic knowledge of how nature works and what's available and what is the uh, organic and holistic approach to anything. I still feel there's a lot of resources, whether it's money, whether it's uh, technology, whether it's time being used when you are going to go and research and develop something to be used from biomass waste that's making bioplastics. Then again, bring it to recycle, again, bring it to upcycling, again, bring it to how to break it down. So there's a lot of resources being used. While the products that are made from waste but are 100% organic, that do not need all that resources, actually you're saving a lot of resources over there. But human you will love to do new innovations. We like to you know, get excite ourselves in creating new innovations, new technologies, and that's fine. But I think lots of energy, lots of money, lots of resources are ever used there, rather keeping it simple. So it's more about simplistic, minimalistic approach to things, whether it's in science, technology, engineering, or it's your everyday household, will be a good solution, holistic solution, to live a healthier, life for us as humans on this planet rather than i guess that's my that's my way of thinking i don't know it may not agree with everyone but that's what i think so bioplastics definitely is helping everyone a lot of waste biomass waste is being redirected in that um, uh, space but uh, i still feel that a lot of resources money being pumped into that rather than stay simple Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, it's definitely important to, you know, be aware of all of this throughout it. So it's great that there is sort of that education factor in it. And, you know, going back to the business part of it, what is it that, you know, if you could pinpoint one thing that you think has been key to the success of your business, what would that be? The first thing success to my business is that my research and development didn't take a long time. So when I started this journey, it's not very long far. It was just in 2018, I thought that, you know, I want to move away from my food business and look at having another business. And I thought I will have to put in a good three years in research and development to make products which are organically made from organic material and do not uh, eliminate the complete uh, use of plastic in their making and construction. Um, and I thought it would take three years. So that was a big win for me when I found that, you know, I it just eliminated all that and that it helped me super uh, uh, speed up my uh, going to market process. So that three years didn't happen. It just was a year that I had to do um, design the products for the Canadian market and develop it with the people who are already using these uh, uh, circular economy uh, businesses um, makers were using these organic materials. So that was my win, I would say, in starting my business. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and that's definitely great to hear. And on the other side of it, was there sort of any big challenges that you really had to overcome, you know, in the starting up phase of your business? Challenges. <laughs> Anyone. The one is the obvious one is 2018, I told you, right? I conceptualized this and figured it out what to do. And um, then, uh, you know, sat in my uh, home office and uh, resourced and found out where these uh, places are. And then when I traveled in 2019 and 2019 uh, worked with the manufacturers uh, within the logistics uh, area and whole supply chain, who will it be and how will it come together? I was hit by the COVID, right? Like everyone else. Oh my God. So it just came at a standstill for me, everything. I didn't know. I couldn't meet anyone. I I didn't know where. No, it, it, it was. It's very hard. It's been very hard. So all that, uh, all that I tell you, the win I had has, you know, it it kind of completely uh, <laughs> makes it so small and little because the last two years has been completely, you know, at once dead level travel, nothing much happening, and how do you approach people? No meetings. Um, everyone's working from home. Things change. Economies have slowed. When uh, economies so slow for people to uh, accept something that's new becomes even more challenging because they want to stick on with the same supply chain. You know what was familiar. So it's getting. It had. It has. It is getting more tough and easier for me because of the inflation, because of the. Uh, timing, uh, COVID, the first year, two years have been very, very slow. Businesses have not been taking new uh, materials or new products in their mind. You know, nothing is playing new. They are just worried about how to hold what they have and how to sustain in what they have. So it's going to take time because it's like um, I have to forget all those years. I have to. I'm going to be starting. I'm starting new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely been a difficult two years for many people and businesses, but it's great to see that, you know, your business is coming out on the other side of this and it's just going to yeah. continue to grow. And you mentioned there too, that, you know, one of the, one of the things with COVID was that we weren't able to have meetings. We weren't able to network and things like that in person, at least. Um, yeah. However, I, that was a big part of the Canada U.S. Power Panel program is building those networks. And so do you want to tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about this experience and, you know, how that really helped your business? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I think uh, we are very blessed to be uh, in Canada. A lot of other uh, cohorts and a lot of other systems came in place uh, to help entrepreneurs like us. And um, you had to be aware, you had to be active at that time and tap on uh, all those resources that were available, embrace, you know, it was completely new for everyone, but you had to act fast and embrace all these that were coming at you. And get on with it, you know, and get uh, enrolled in all these. And I think all these resources that were available through innovation centers uh, around Southern Ontario, the U.S., uh, like you said, the power panel, every, each and every one, I think, has kept the entrepreneur spirit high. Um, We, uh, I wouldn't be here if all these systems and all these institutions were not there. I would tell you clearly. I would not be here. I would not be sitting talking to you. Because uh, you would be lonely. 
at the end of the day you are human you need that companionship you need the support you need that other voice telling you that they understand you and they feel for you and they are here to help you which i think is a blessing similarly with the us power panel it helped us um i was there uh, with couple of uh, other uh, such successful entrepreneurs and business icons and you learn from them and everyone's journey you say whether covid or no covid everyone somehow has something in their life uh, or in their business journey that has always been challenging and um i believe that it's not success that succeeds you but every time when you learn so much from every failure that that is That's your thing. Yes. Well, we're definitely fortunate to yeah, have those resources available to us. And that's a really great perspective to have on it, I think. And that's great that you're staying positive through it. And I think that's what really leads to a successful business in the end is overcoming all of those challenges and, you know, yes. st- staying consistent and persistent with the business. So that's definitely great to hear. And, you know, I know that there is probably some very every exciting. Failure, every challenge you evolve and you yes. evolve for the better. And you have to keep evolving because what i conceptualized in 2019 cannot happen today you know yeah. and there are reasons for it there mm-hmm. are uh, business reasons for it there are financial reasons for it there are environmental reasons for it this every reason and you have to then evolve and you so that's why i'm saying the failure is your uh, stepping stone to su- future success Yes, 100%. I I definitely agree. I think that's that's definitely um such a great lesson and such a great reminder for business owners to keep in mind and I know that you have a lot of future of exciting plans coming up for Baker yes. Spree. So do you is there any coming up that we can watch out for that you'd like to share? Yeah. So at this time Baker Spree in the last two years of pandemic 21 2021 um both the years we managed to be in a few stores, brick and mortar stores. all stores um as a wholesale vendor of 100% sustainable zero waste products paper spree is stocked in um i would say 10 or 12 stores across quebec ontario and alberta uh but i think that is not doing the the change that i want to see it's not doing what i really want it to do unless and until we have big buyers um uh, you know coming into play like staples and walmart or indigos i don't see that but i then thought of a new concept i said you know you have we are we love our dollar stores right and um they are a kind of a lifeline to every woman's everyday <laughs> needs you know every student's needs everyone's needs you just go there because you know you get it you get it at a good price and you get the job done similarly if we i'm conceptualizing writing a business plan now for a store that is 100% sustainable but the price point is affordable and we can have them through um already existing um chains like your uh, big bears or big bees or giant tiger or whatever or you know you so this is a business plan where you have to come all businesses have to come together where government policies and everything i'm looking into which will help us bring each other together to work for a sustainable circular economy or even starting that they uh, you know dedicate not the whole store but they dedicate they say okay we are going to dedicate a uh, five shelves or four uh, one uh, aisle to just sustainable 
this is a start and this is my uh, business plan now i'm working to bring that kind of supply into this retail supply chain where i do not have to go store to store with few things but be with your existing businesses right so i'll be supplying to them and they need to give me a dedicated aisle or dedicated shelves just so that we can bring you know side by side when you're buying something that's plastic you know the same time the consumer oh i can buy this okay i'm buying this at $5 i can buy this at $5 too and that will definitely be the change you know then they'll rather buy this than this mm-hmm. so that's the business model we are now writing it's very very conceptual new uh, we are just working on it but fingers crossed and i think with all that support that i have around me and with the government initiatives around it especially certain towns like you know there are green towns like wolves and uh, saint catherine around me the municipalities want to work so you have to have a whole um, system in place for this where it's from the municipal level to the business level to the corporate level all come together to make this a reality then you will see the change Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I'm definitely excited to see all of that come into place and see those initiatives take off. So I can't wait to see all that. And where can our listeners go to learn more about Paper Spree and find your products? So at this time, um, I can share uh, with uh, you the list uh, of stores that we are in so they can go and buy our products there. And um, to learn more about our business and to keep themselves abreast with what's coming next, I think my website is the best place, paperspree.com. and my instagram handle paper spray so i think i'm i'm just limited to this and all other professionals of course linkedin i will share my linkedin uh, profile with you because that that's where we have uh, blogging and discussions and articles and everything i share uh, related to my business and to circular economy and zero waste economy so i think linkedin website and instagram should be good enough places for people to follow Amazing. Well, I can't wait to follow along and see all of that to come. So thank you so much, Avida, for joining me here today, sharing your story and teaching me so much as well. I I definitely learned a lot and I know our listeners will as well. So thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in to Made It Happen podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please feel free to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. And thanks again for all your support. I'll see you next week.